Chapter Four of Norse Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: Lost and Rescued. The sun had disappeared, but the moon completed her circuit in the heavens with great beauty. Her nearest approach to the horizon was twenty-five degrees. For eight days after the return of the party to the vessel, it shone with almost unclouded brightness, as if to give them a joyful welcome. When November came, our explorers were well settled in their winter quarters. They had made them, by judicious ventilation and the careful distribution of heat, tolerably comfortable. Below decks they had a uniform temperature of sixty-five degrees above zero, and under the housing of the upper deck it never went below zero, while outside the thermometer averaged twenty-five degrees minus. While shut up in the darkness, relieved only by the light from the sparkling stars and the glowing moon, the daily routine of the ship's duties were strictly performed. Each had his assigned work. The monotonous meals came at the stated hour, and the bell noted the changing watches. The morning and evening prayers, and the religious observance of the Sabbath, were pleasant and profitable prompters to serious thought. These became more and more needed as the inactive season progressed. The continued darkness without, made dense often by heavy clouds, wore upon the spirits of the men. Besides, their light within became less cheerful by the failure of the supply of oil. The lamps refused to burn poor lard, and muddy corks and wads of cotton floating as tapers, in saucers, filled with it, gave but a lurid light, and emitted an offensive smoke and odor. It would be strange, indeed, if in this ice-imprisoned company there were no homesick ones, however bravely the feeling might be suppressed. Hans, the Eskimo, at one time packed his clothes and shouldered his rifle to bid the brig's company good-bye. A desperate lone journey homeward he would have had of it. It was whispered that in addition to his drawings to his mother there was at Fiskerney's a lady-love. He, however, was persuaded to stay on shipboard, and Dr. Kane gave him for his sickness a dose of salts and promotion. They worked well, and he seems to have been very contented afterwards. The usual resort was had to dramatic performances, fancy balls, and the publication of a paper called the Ice Blink. A favorite sport was the fox chase, in which each sailor in turn led off as fox in a run round the upper deck, followed by the rest in chase. Dr. Kane offered a Guernsey shirt as a prize to the man who held out the longest in the chase. William Godfrey sustained the chase for fourteen minutes and wore off the shirt. November 27th, the commander sent out a volunteer party under Bonsal to see if the Eskimo had returned to the huts which had been seen in the fall. The darkness at noonday was too great for reading, and the cold was terrible. The party returned after one night's encamping, the sledge having broken, 
and the tent and luggage being left behind. A few days after Morton started alone to recover the lost articles. In two days and a half he returned, bringing everything. He tramped in that time with the cold, forty degrees below zero, sixty-two miles, making only three halts. The darkness during the time was such that a hummock of ice fifty paces ahead could hardly be seen. The effect of the darkness on the dogs was very marked, but so long as there was any sledging for them to do, their spirits kept up. One of the Newfoundlands, named Grimm, was a character. He was noted for a profound appreciation of his dinner, of which he never had enough, for a disrelish for work and a remarkable knowledge of the arts of hypocrisy. His cunning fawning, and the beseeching wink of his eye, procured for him warm quarters in the deck-house, and a bed on the captain's fur coat, while his fellows had to be content with their kennel. Though Grimm thus proved his knowledge of the best place at the dog-table, and the best bits it afforded, as well as the best place to sleep, he never could understand a call to the sledge-harness. He always happened at such times to be out of the way. Once, when the dog-team was about to start, he was found hid in a barrel, and was bid join the party. But Grimm was equal to the occasion. He went limping across the deck, as much as to say, Would you have a poor lame dog do? The joke was so cute that he was allowed to remain at home, and after that he became suddenly lame as soon as a movement toward the sledges was made. Grimm thus attained the usual success of shallow-brained, flattering hypocrisy, many favors and universal contempt. His end, too, was very befitting his life. His master, thinking he was becoming too fat in his lazy dignity, commanded him to join a sledge-party. Grown presumptuous by indulgence, he refused and showed his teeth, besides bleeding lameness. But the order was peremptory this time, and a rope was put round his body and attached to the sledge, and he was made to trot after his faithful fellows. At the first halt he contrived to break the rope, and carrying a few feet of it dragging after him, started in the darkness for the ship. Not having come home when the party returned, search was made for him with lanterns, as it was thought the rope might have caught and detained him in the hammock. His tracks were found not far from the vessel, and then they led away to the shore. Old Grimm was never seen again. Grimm could be spared, but the explorers were much alarmed soon after his death by a strange disease among the whole pack. They were at times frenzied, and then became stupid. They were taken below, nursed, tended, and doctored with anxiety and care, for on them much depended. But all died except six. Their death threw a cloud over the prospect of further successful exploration. But a still darker event threatened the explorers. Every man was more or less touched with the scurvy, except two, and some were prostrate. It was with great joy, therefore, that, 
on the twenty first of january eighteen fifty four they saw the orange-coloured tints of the sun faintly tracing the top of the distant hills daylight and game would be important medicines for the sick a month later and dr kane made a long walk and a hard scramble up the projecting crag of a headland of the bay and bathed in his welcome rays it was about a week later before he was seen from the deck of the advance a very busy company now was that on board the brig making preparations for spring work the carpenter was making and mending sledges the tinker making and mending cooking apparatus for the journeys many busy hands were at work on the furs and blankets for a complete renewed outfit for wearing and sleeping but though march had come the average cold was greater than at any time before still a sledge party was in readiness to start by the middle of the month to carry provisions for a new deposit beyond those made in the fall the party consisted of eight men a new sledge had been made smaller than the faith and adapted to the reduced dog team to this the load was lashed a light boat being placed on top the men harnessed in but could hardly start it the boat was then removed and two hundred pounds off the load and thus relieved away they went cheered by the hearty god bless you of their shipmates dr kane had added to their provisions by the way as an expression of goodwill the whole of his brother's great wedding cake but as they started their ever watchful commander thought he saw more goodwill than ability to draw the load and a suspicion too impressed him that the new sledge was not all right so he followed and found them in camp only five miles away he said nothing about any new orders for the morning laughed at the rueful faces of some of them and heard peterson's defence of his new sledge as the best which could be made he saw them all tucked away in their buffaloes and returned to the brig we have before referred to a sledge called the faith it was built by dr kane's order after an english pattern except that the runners were made lower and wider it had been thought too large for the present party the doctor now called up all his remaining men the face was put on deck her runners polished lashings a canvas covering and track lines were adjusted to her by one o'clock that night the discarded two hundred pounds of provisions and the boat were lashed on and away the men went for their sleeping comrades they were still sound asleep when the face arrived the load of the new boat was quietly placed upon it all put in travelling order and it was started off on an experimental trip with five men the success was perfect the sleepers were then awakened and all were delighted at the either draught of the heavier load dr kane and his party returned to the vessel with the discarded sledge ten days slipped away and no tidings from the depot party the work of clearing up the ship and putting the finishing touch to the preparation for the distant northern excursion which was to crown the efforts of the expedition and unlock it was hoped at last 
some of the secrets of the North Pole progressed daily. At midnight of the eleventh day, a sudden tramp was heard on deck, and immediately Sontag, Olsen, and Peterson entered the cabin. Their sudden coming was not so startling as their woe-begun, bewildered looks. It was with difficulty that they made their sad tale known. Brooks, Baker, Wilson, and Schubert were all lying on the ice, disabled, with Irish Tom Hickey, who alone was able to minister to their wants. The escaped party had come, at the peril of their own lives, to get aid. They had evidently come a long distance, but how far, and where they had left the suffering ones, they could not tell, nor were they in a condition to be questioned. While the urgent necessities of the newcomers were being attended to, Dr. Kane and others were getting ready the little willy, with a buffalo cover, a small tent, and a package of prepared meat called pemmican. Olsen seemed to have his senses more than the others, though he was sinking with excursion, having been fifty hours without rest. Dr. Kane, feeling that he must have a guide or fail to find the lost ones, Olsen was put in a fur bag, his legs wrapped up in dogskins and either down, and then he was strapped on the sledge. Off dashed the rescue party, nine men, besides their commander, carrying only the clothes on their backs. The cold was seventy-eight degrees below the freezing point. Guided by icebergs of colossal size, they hurried across the bay, and travelled sixteen hours with some certainty that they were on the right track. They then began to lose their way. Olsen, utterly exhausted, had fallen asleep, and when awakened was plainly bewildered. He could tell nothing about the way, nor the position of the lost ones. He had before said that it was drifting heavily round them when they were left. The situation of the rescue party was becoming critical, and the chance of helping the lost seemed small indeed. They might be anywhere within forty miles. Thus situated, Dr. Kane moved on ahead, and clambered up some ice-piles, and found himself upon a long, level flow. Thinking the provision party might have been attracted by this as a place to camp, he determined to examine it carefully. He gave orders to liberate Olsen, now just able to walk, from his fur bag, and to pitch the tent. Then, leaving tent, sledge, and everything behind, except a small allowance of food taken by each man, he commanded the men to proceed across the floe at a good distance from each other. All obeyed cheerfully and promptly, and moved off at a lively step to keep from freezing. Yet somehow, either from a sense of loneliness or involuntarily, there was a constant tendency of the men to huddle together. Exhaustion and cold told fearfully upon them. The stoutest were seized with trembling fits and short breath, and Dr. Kane fell twice fainting on the snow. They had now been eighteen hours out without food or rest, and the darkness of their situation seemed to have no ray of light, when Hans shouted that he thought he saw a sledge-track. Hardly daring to believe that their senses did not deceive them, they traced it until footsteps were apparent. 
Following these with religious care, they came after a while in sight of a small American flag fluttering from a hummock. Lower down, they espied a little masonic banner hanging from a tent pole, barely above the drift. It was the camp of the lost ones. It was found after an unfaltering march of twenty-one hours. The little tent was nearly covered by the drift. Dr. Kane was the last to come up, and when he reached the tent his men were standing in solemn silence upon each side of it. With great kindness and delicacy of feeling, they intimated their wish that he should be the first to go in. He lifted the canvas and crawled in, and in the darkness felt for the poor fellows who were stretched upon their backs. A burst of welcome within was answered by a joyful shout without. "'We expected you,' said one, embracing the doctor. "'We knew you would come.' For the moment all perils, hunger, and exhaustion were forgotten amid the congratulations and gratitude. The company now numbered fifteen. The cold was intense, but one half the number had to keep stirring outside, while the rest crowded into the little tent to sleep. Each took a turn of two hours, and then preparations were made to start homeward. They took the tent furs for the rescued party, and food for fifty hours, and abandoned everything else. The tent was folded and laid on the sledge. A bed was then made of eight buffalo skins, the sick having their limbs carefully sewed up in reindeer skins, were then put in a reclining position on the bed, and other furs and blanket bags thrown around them. The hole was lashed together, allowing only a breathing place opposite the mouth. This embalming of the sufferers, and getting them a good meal, cost four hours of exposure in a cold that had become fifty-five degrees minus. Most of the rescuers had their fingers snipped by the frost. When all was ready, the whole company united in a short prayer. Now commenced the fearful journey— the sledge and its load weighed eleven hundred pounds. The hammocks were many, some of them were high, and long deviations round them must be made. Some, which they climbed over, lifting the sledge after them, were crossed by narrow chasms filled with light snow, fearful traps into which, if one fell, his death was almost certain. Across these the sledge was drawn, some of them being too wide for it to bridge them, so it had to be sustained by the rope, and steadily too, for the sick could not bear to be lashed so tight as not to be liable to roll off, and the load was top-heavy. In spite of these obstacles, all went bravely for six hours. The abandoned tent was nine miles ahead. The sledge on which life depended bravely bore every strain, the new flow was gained, and the travelling improved, so that good hope was entertained that the tent, its covert and rest, would be gained. Just then a strange feeling came over nearly the whole party. Some begged the privilege of sleeping. They were not cold, they said. They did not mind the wind now. All they wanted was a little sleep. Others dropped on the snow and refused to get up. 
one stood bolt upright and with closed eyes could not be made to speak the commander boxed jeered argued and reprimanded his men to no purpose a halt was made and the tent pitched no fire could be obtained for nobody's fingers were limber enough to strike fire so no food or water could be had leaving the company in charge of m gary with orders to come on after a few hours rest dr kane and godfrey went forward to the tent to get ready a fire and cooked food they reached the tent in a strange sort of stupor they remembered nothing only that the bear trotted leisurely ahead of them stopping once to tear a jumper to pieces which one of the men had dropped the day before and pausing to toss the tent contemptuously aside they set it up with difficulty crept into their fur bags and slept intensely for three hours they then arose succeeded in lighting the cooking lamp and had a steaming soup ready when the rest arrived refreshed with food and rest the feeble readjusted they commenced the home stretch once the old sleepiness came over them and they in turn slept three minutes by the watch and were benefited they all reached the brig at one o'clock p m all were more or less delirious when they arrived and could remember nothing of what had happened on the way with slight exception the rescue party had been out seventy-two hours of this time only eight hours were spent in halting they had travelled about eighty-five miles most of the distance dragging their sledge dr hayes took the sick in hand two lost one or more toes and two jefferson baker a boyhood playfellow of dr kane and pierre schubert the french cook died End of chapter 4